Hello and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the ALT Learn Podcast. I'm John Tate and I'll be your host as we break down the craft of teaching and the science of learning, what this pedagogy looks like in the classroom, and get to find out how our teachers are turning all this theory into practice. So, let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to episode 13 of the ALT Learn Podcast, where we've got another great episode lined up for you today discussing the importance of vocabulary development of the students in our care and why this is crucial for their lifelong learning. So I'm pleased to say that alongside me on today's show, we have an external guest to the Eretti Learning Trust, but someone I know very well as she was a former colleague of mine, Sarah Ledger, who is now Chief Executive at Lexonic. A warm welcome to the podcast, Sarah, and big thanks for coming on to discuss this important topic with me today. Thank you, John. It's lovely to join you and it's fantastic to talk to you again. Absolutely. So I think what would be really nice for our kind of listeners is because you know, you, you, you're not part of our trust, um, just a little bit of a background, really. I, obviously, we worked together in our previous school uh, where I was deputy head and you were assistant head teacher uh, for teaching and learning. And you obviously, you know, you, you led on literacy and things for us here. But just a little uh, a bit of background in terms of what you've done, what your kind of background is in education, and how you've got to the position now um, in, in, in electronic of chief exec. Yeah, of course. So um, hi, everybody. I'm Sarah Ledger and I'm a Middlesbrough girl born and bred. Um, I've always taught in the Tees Valley and I qualified in the early noughties, about 2002. Um, Originally as a drama and dance teacher, actually, and then soon found my passion actually lied with my English literature degree. I worked in schools across, like I said, across the Tees Valley and ventured into head of English, assistant head for teaching and learning, deputy head for teaching and learning. And then a few years ago, I was given the opportunity to start exploring work within the literacy field but more of a consultancy point of view and now as John rightly said I'm chief executive of Lexonic and Lexonic is a literacy and teacher training company who works with schools across the UK UAE and parts of Europe. Very good and, and, and <laughs> yeah a lot a lot of stuff there and I think it's it's been great you know we, we we chatted when I when I saw you down in London a few weeks ago and it's been kind of great to to get back in touch again and especially with what we're going to talk about today in terms of literacy development and certainly vocabulary because it's just so important now I know all, all the listeners will, will will be aware of that but what I want to do today is really kind of pull apart um, you know how, how each teacher or each head of department or head teacher whoever you are listening can actually start to develop that and really make a difference, um, you know, actually in, in, in your classroom, in your school. So let's start then actually a bit wider than kind of just examination success. And I think that all teachers and education related professionals listening to this will, will know about the importance of literacy in their own subject for examination purposes. But can we just start by talking about why this might be important in life generally and any links between literacy and life chances or opportunities, Sarah? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think the old adage kind of comes here you know the more you learn the more you earn um obviously therefore then the amount of knowledge that you gain over your life has a massive and vastly impactful process on the amount of actual money you're going to have in your family pot but um it goes beyond that because what we're talking about here when we're thinking about literacy we're thinking about breaking that cycle of deprivation um very very recently there's been a whole host of studies including obviously the educational white paper just recently about this need to really focus on the literacy gap that we've got you know we've got in the times just the other week there was articles about students with reading ages of six coming into secondary school and what on earth those secondary school teachers are going to do to help that out Mm -hmm. but the impact that literacy has on our life is absolutely huge if it's really difficult though before we start talking about stats and percentages to think about 
what it's like to be a vulnerable or a non-reading adult when you are a reading adult because mm. most of us we just take for granted that we can pick something up and we can decode it we can comprehend it we can blend it we can do everything that we need instantly in order to be able to access that reading material but when you're a grown-up who can't do that um we can only start to imagine what that might feel like in the most base life limiting reasons never mind you know the grander stats of um you know women who have a lower literacy rate are more likely to be suffering from depression and and maybe taking up um negative habits for that for their own well-being um if we think about i think you you were talking about a percentage to me um john just before about kind of the prison intake and the prison market you know and i was in it's, it's really a... interesting, isn't it? it? It's really interesting. All those things are actually you know, far wider than just a school that we, we don't necessarily appreciate. And, and and I do quite a lot of schools in like people referral units and such as that. And the literacy rates of students in those situations are incredibly low. So it doesn't take a genius to see the color, color I can't even speak correlation <laughs> between reading and literacy and then life chances and self-worth and self-esteem motivation and your ability to be able to access the world around you absolutely and I you know I was I done a I did a presentation a while back actually in in, in the homework I was doing for this um for this uh, podcast episode right now I dug up some of the stats from a a session I did before on disadvantage and, and, and how that links to literacy. And just to, to read the listeners three kind of three or four stats here that 60% of prisoners have difficulties with basic literacy. 48% of offenders in the UK have a reading age below, uh, below that expected of an 11 year old. And 25% of young offenders have a reading age below that expected for a seven year old. Now those are quite shocking statistics, you know, um, that, that actually, you know, it is, it, it, it's our, it's, it's a real duty, isn't it? That actually not just for examination success, but actually, you know, what are we, what are we in this profession for? We're in this to actually increase the opportunities, the life opportunities mm-hmm. um, and, and the enjoyment of, of, of the people in our care so that they can be you know, the best that they can be. Um, and actually when you start to look at those statistics, then I think we all have, irrespective of our subjects, we all have a duty of care to make sure that the students leave our our establishments with the highest levels of literacy possible, whether that's written, whether that's spoken, whether that's reading, whatever it may be, because actually, you know, those statistics tell uh, you know tell a very kind of uh, bleak tale. So, uh, yeah, I think it is it, it's really really important, and it's great. You know, go on, sorry, Sarah. No, I was going to say if you put those statistics into like real actual practical terms, though, that that one that's really interesting there about forty eight percent of um, offenders having a reading age of less than eleven. If we put that into work context, so the statutory health and safety certificate that has to be displayed on a wall of every business that in many many manual labour work jobs people are expected to read on a daily basis now that has an average reading age of 17 and a half so you're talking actually that here reading is a matter of life and death reading is about health and safety if you cannot understand the warning sign that your boss is asking you to read every single day then you are you are at risk and the reason you're at risk is not because you haven't done a manual handling course or not because you don't know how to drive a forklift truck it's because you haven't been able to understand that safety notice at that very very first point of contact so when you put it into real context like that, it becomes something that's incredibly significant to our lives. And you also then think about, you're talking here about people, mums, dads, aunties, uncles, nanas, and granddads who can't read their children a bedtime story. Now you're a dad, John, like mm-hmm. that's the best time of the day when you get to do that story with your little ones. So Absolutely. us not focusing on reading in a really proper strategic manner means that we're potentially not 
allowing adults to be able to do that with their own children in the future. Absolutely. And I, and I think when you put it into those contexts, whether it's, you know, from a, from a parenting point of view or the striking one for me really was that kind of the, the reading age of 17 and a half for the, that kind of, you know, the workplace health and safety certificate on, or the guidance on the wall. It's just incredible, isn't it? How actually we are potentially as a, as a nation, as a country, as a world, as a, as a global kind of education society, selling a lot of those kids short by letting them leave our, our, our institutions with, with, with reading ages that are way lower than actually their numerical age. So yeah, I think it's really, really important. Um, and it's something that, you know, that, that clearly is on every school's agenda, but actually <clears throat> what I want to focus on today is it might be on your school's agenda, but actually as a teacher of history, PE, technology, music, whatever it may be, is it on your agenda and where does it rank in your kind of priority list in terms of, examination success or life kind of opportunities further than that so um most teachers will, will, will tell us then that like i've just said there that they've got literacy on their agenda in their subject either when they're marking or planning work on you know those things but going back to something that i've heard you talk about before Sarah, what do we mean by explicit teaching of vocabulary and and, and why is that important for the teachers listening okay so it's first and really, really important to stress that, you know, we all chose the subject initially that we wanted to teach because we have a passion for it. So I know, John, in the deepest, darkest depths of your past, you you loved teaching PE. Yeah. And we chose that for a reason. So before we go any further, it's really important to acknowledge that that passion and that time and commitment to our subject has to be at the forefront of everything that we do. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about reading and the explicit instruction of reading vocabulary and spelling, we're talking about slight shifts to our classroom habits. It's not about turning us all into English teachers. It's about keeping us front and centre as those passionate geography teachers, food technology teachers. But looking at the way in which we're imparting our knowledge and and imparting our curriculum and thinking about the fact that the language and the words that we're using is our curriculum and that we have to consider that the language is the content of what we're actually delivering without that language being decoded for the students and and having those really important conversations about it they're never going to get that deeper level of thought when they're starting to process and synthesize the concepts that you're giving them Um, the amount of knowledge obviously that students are expected to be given over the course of say just a GCSE period never mind if you go into A level is absolutely vast and there is absolutely no way we could ever teach them everything that they need to be taught. So the explicit teaching of vocabulary and reading is actually about creating independent learners. It's about making sure that we're giving students a system that's repeated in every classroom across the school that they then can pick up and use at the point of need when they're by themselves, be it in those exams or be it when they're stood in front of that health and safety certificate at work. Mm-hmm. That, I think that's really important as well and it's really nice to hear actually what you said to start with I think lots of teachers will be happy to hear that it's not just about creating everyone as an English teacher or, or thinking that well hang on a second I'm having to you know why do I have to help you out and, and, and help your kind of English man well it's not about that is it it's about really the wider broader understanding of like you said students being able to decode words that they may not understand uh, because we all know that we do it as adults probably quite often that when we see a word that we're not sure we either switch off or we just brush over it and if that's one of the key words in the sentence then we're not really getting uh, a, a, a broad understanding of what that is actually meaning to us and the more and more words that we see that we don't know um 
you know, going back to something that, that I remember that I think Dylan William talked about it really early on when I first saw him speak was real intelligence is knowing what to do when you don't know what to do. And this is exactly it, isn't it? How can those students then, when they don't know what that word means, how can they start to pick that word apart and actually decode it a little bit and use their other knowledge or contextual knowledge of, well, I've seen a word that starts with that before. So how might that be able to kind of use my knowledge previously to actually have a decent stab at what that word means? So, yeah, I, th I think that's really important. And I think that as teachers, we need to be at the forefront of that, like you say, and make sure that we are doing that every day and helping those students do that. Because as we've discussed earlier, it, it's such a life skill, isn't it? That, that's going to make a big difference, uh, you know, in, 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 in the wider life chance of them. Yeah. And, and I always say to students and staff, you know, there's a real couple of key questions we can use. So I'm, you know me, John, I'm always about making sure that teachers have stuff they can use immediately in the classroom. So when students are starting to stumble and fumble over words, it's really important to think, make them think about, you know, what are you going to do when you don't know what to do? Mm -hmm. And the the simple answer is you're going to use what you know to access what you don't so you're going to look at that word and find the bits that you do understand and then you ask yourself two key questions what does it mean and then really importantly how do you know now that however that whole process however starts with the teacher and I know that's a massive passion of yours and mine John is that ensuring that our teachers and many many secondary school teachers haven't been taught how to teach children to read or how to teach children to use vocabulary so we need to be thinking about how we are supporting and developing the teacher to then ultimately support and develop the student. Absolutely. And it, and it comes back to that tough love, isn't it, of kind of we, we in, in our profession, because it's so it's so busy and there's so many things happening and so dynamic that when a, when a student is needing help and asks us a question, our caring side sometimes overrides our our kind of pedagogy side and yeah. we're quick to give them the answer because there's a student who needs my help I can help them let's give them the answer but actually taking a step back like you said and trying to make this kind of well you know for, for people listening well how can I do this you know how can I do this tomorrow mm -hmm. well actually by when a student says what does that word mean actually as you said in the in conversation a minute ago not just then giving the answer but actually reframing that and saying well what part of the word do you recognize? Is there anything in there that you, you know, do you recognize the start of the, of the, of the word? Do you recognize the end? Is it, is it a word that you, you might have seen before? Is, is there anything there that, you know, that looks similar to something else? And having those questions to fire back as a, as a default from you as a teacher, rather than just quickly saying, oh, it means this, because actually that's not helping anybody. You know, you might help them in that minute, but actually you're not helping them longer term because when they see another word they're not sure of outside of where you are and with, with, with your help, they're going to want someone to help them with it. They're not going to be able to then, you know, have to be able to understand how to, to decode it themselves. So I think that's a quick win for people, isn't it, in terms of just reframing that question back to them. Yeah, without doubt. And then you take them through a process, a really, really quick process of being able to do that. So imagine... Um, imagine that your word that you're thinking about in class or that you've stumbled across is um, the word um, contraction. Right, quite, quite a, it's a T3 vocabulary word. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the word we're looking at is contraction. And a child says to you, right, miss, uh, what does contraction mean? So then you throw it straight back. Okay, so what does it mean? And how do you know? How, how do you know what it might mean? Let's use what we know to access what we don't. So we look at the word contraction and we find the part that we recognize. So come on, join, join me in. So if you think about in contraction, we've got that STEM tract. So yep. when you see tract, where's your mind going? What are you thinking of? What other words have you currently got in your head that makes you think of tract? Well, I'm, I'm thinking, I might even be, th I mean, I'm thinking if I go all the way back to, if, if people listen to the program, I might even be thinking kind of tractor or movement or anything Right, like stay there. Brilliant. Tractor. Yep. Keep it simple. Go straight simple first. So tractor. Yep. So what does a tractor do? It moves. 
it moves. What else does it do in a field? Uh, it might it might plow. It might kind of uh, it might pick things up. It might kind of um, it might do all sorts. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So a plow a plow drags and pulls stuff yeah. across a room, doesn't it? So, okay, so let's have a just think of another word then. What about an extraction? Yes. Yeah, so Where it, might you be if you have if you're having an extraction done? Yeah, well, a dentist, yeah. And you might be you're in my a, something is getting taken out of somewhere. Real, 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 real. So if you're in it, having your tooth extracted, the extraction is pulling, it's dragging. So tract means to pull or drag. And it's kind of that really simple process. But what the most important stage in that process is, is that you went initially right back to the most easiest. Yeah reference that you had and that's super important because it means that students have been able to use some context clues that they've got but more importantly they are then mm -hmm. able to then eventually get into that t3 vocabulary and Brilliant. all of that all of that is oral rehearsal and that's a really important thing to stress to teachers because we learn to read through our ears and our eyes so that the first pillar of reading is phonemic awareness where we're starting to hear and manipulate units of sound mm -hmm. so before we even get to that phonics which is that graphene that written correspondence we need to be able to hear vocabulary. So everything we're doing here is not about planning. It's not about having a PowerPoint slide. It's about a classroom conversation that means that students can hear the sounds and then can start to manipulate the sounds and the vocabulary as they're going forward. Fantastic. And I think that was a great example of just kind of pulling that apart of what, of what that conversation might look and sound like, but also not just as a teacher, but you know, many of the people listening will be parents as well. And actually it's that conversation, isn't it, around whenever it is, I was going to say around the dinner table, but whenever it, wherever and whenever it is, when uh, you know, your own child says, what does this mean? Or what's that? Or I haven't seen that before. It's having that conversation and actually pulling that apart and doing it at that point, because we know that that's going to make a difference in how they're able to then have their own toolkit for the rest of their life to be able to do that when, when they see words that they, they, they're not really sure of. So outside of then individual teachers uh, and individual subjects, what do we mean by kind of um, a whole school approach to vocabulary instruction and how would we do it? Okay, so a whole school approach for me for vocabulary instruction is around about morphemic analysis. So to put it into whole school context, first and foremost, we've got to think about having a method, a methodology for the explicit teaching of vocabulary, reading and spelling, which every single teacher will replicate across the school, regardless of what subject they're in, because then we're forming those really important um, learning habits and obviously we know you know your, your neural pathways are like sledge runs in the snow aren't they and the mm -hmm. more that you go down a sledge run the easier that thing becomes mm -hmm. so the more we practice vocabulary reading and spelling in the same manner the easier it becomes and what then I talk about is lessening teacher variability. So if we make sure that all teachers have the skills to teach morphemic analysis, then wherever that student goes and they ask a question, well, what does subtraction mean, miss? What does civilization mean, sir? The teachers are going through the same process. So the, the child is starting to recognize that this is a process that works. And then more importantly, when they're by themselves, they can get themselves out of that learning pit and they can start to decode the meaning in front of them. So when I'm talking about morphemic analysis, what I'm talking about is basically prefix, suffix, stems and roots. So a mm -hmm. morpheme is the smallest unit of meaning within a word. And all words are morphed, a bit like, remember that Tony Hart character out of Claire? Yeah, 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 yeah. So all words are morphed, like him, um, out of these morphemes. So basically, we can look at a word and we can decode it depending upon its prefix meaning, its suffix and its um, stem meaning. Mm -hmm. 
within that also then we can start talking about then the links across the curriculum which is really important so we start to state, say to students so you know where might you have seen this vocabulary before where else across the curriculum might you've come across this which might have its nuances so so each subject will have a slightly different take on vocabulary but the student has enough just understanding to be able to give it a stab and to start a conversation about the words and it's those crossovers that are so super important because mm -hmm. that's what then is connecting the links so imagine a world where we didn't hand out individual vocabulary lists to learn per subject mm -hmm. but we actually focused on learning morphemes and then made the student decode that word themselves but actually we've then got this shared vocabulary across across the class across the school Fantastic. So I mean, the, the key there is what well, to start with its consistency. And like you said, yeah. you know, removing or, or lessening um, a variability between teachers, either in one department or across the school, you know, if we can get to that point. Um, but then, you know, it's interesting because I was, I was, I was, my next question I was going to ask was, is, well, is this not just, you know, an old school approach to here's a list of words, you know, um, you need to learn them, you need to understand how to spell them, you know, is it not just that? But I think you, you then start to kind of answer that what I was going to ask there. I say that, well, it's not just this because actually, if we just learn, I suppose, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but if we just learn a vast amount of words that we all think are different and separate, we never ever see the links and we never then see, you know, where those, you know what where they've morphed out of or the stem so therefore we're not really able to use that to develop what new words mean because we all think all words are separate and different whereas actually if we start from a different point of view like you've mentioned there and look at you know what what they've all morphed out of then actually whenever we see a word that that has the same you know start or end etc etc we know that it belongs to a certain family of words and we can then start to understand that is, is, is that is that where I'm, am i right then in terms of thinking that yeah so so i mean the first word that's jumping into my head is not a very positive word but let's go with it anyway so let's take the word depression <laughs> all right <laughs> so depression i can think of at least three if not more subject areas that would need students to be able to understand the word depression in mm -hmm. context mm -hmm. So um, let's have a look at the word itself um, in the first case. So it's suffix shun, the act, result or process. That's the most common suffix in the English language. So everybody needs to know what that means. Mm -hmm. D means not or away. And press literally means to push, apply mm -hmm. force or to put something down. Mm -hmm. So I'm now a year seven student and I've just walked into geography and my geography teacher's took taking me through that morphemic analysis, but he's, he's talking about depression in terms of landmass. Mm. I mm. then move into my next period and I'm in science and we're doing um, about mood and emotions and they're talking about about depression as in depression of the mind that pressing down of your feelings that pressing down of feeling sad mm -hmm. and then in history in period three i'm a history teacher talking to you about the great depression well what was happening in the great depression mm -hmm. was that people were having to feel like their lives were being squeezed and pressed and pushed together because of eco the e economy mm -hmm. and all sorts of other variables so those teachers could have taught the word depression and given three very definite definitions for the student the child to think that they had to learn in three isolated chunks mm -hmm. of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Whereas if all teachers began by talking about, right, look, we're going to look at the word depression today. What does it mean? And how do we know? And they had that quick conversation. Then that child, wherever they went, would go, hang on, I've just done depression. And that meant about pressing moods down. Mm -hmm. So it must have something to do with something similar here. Mm -hmm. And we're really strengthening that cognitive process. And then also making it so that vocabulary is not seen in isolation. 
That's great. And I think that, you know, so it's, it's not just removing those listed words, because I know you're, you're a big fan of making sure that, you know, all subjects, you know, understand and think about what their you know, tier three vocabulary is and what's really important to understand. But actually, it's, it's using this in connection with that and using it as a first, you know, in, in terms of the first ladder of it, actually, let's, let's understand what this means first, before we just give you a lot, a lot of words to, to remember, because, as you said there, that example of depression, can we use three different ways, uh, and students can get very confused very quickly if they say, hang on a second, I thought this meant this, but actually, if we if we if we kind of pull that apart, they can understand exactly what it means in context. So, yeah, I think that's really really useful, um, which, which is great. Um, moving on then, in terms of kind of methodology and, and 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 a kind of vocabulary methodology, how does it then support student independence? Because you talked right at the start about kind of you know independence and being away from school and that kind of stuff. So, how does this all to, uh, all support our the independence of our students? Well, ultimately they're by themselves, aren't they? So ultimately, regardless of what we believe or what we think currently as an individual in the education system, our ed education system has endpoint assessments and nine mm -hmm. times out of 10, they're sat at those little wonky desks <laughs> by themselves doing that assessment. So we have to make sure that we're not filling their minds with that much information that they got obviously cognitive overload so if you're focusing on content you need to make sure that the child can access the content that you've been teaching them at speed when they need it in the next, that exam and then what does the exam board go and do the exam board go and do go and write a question right at the very beginning of the exam paper that has a word in it that you've never taught so as a teacher, you might be stood at the front of the exam hall there or later on when you read the paper at the end of the day and go, oh, my word, I've just spent three or four months teaching that concept. And the exam boards put that flipping word in the middle mm -hmm. of that question. And my, there's no way my students would have known that. Or we can preempt that and think, right, how are we going to make it so that students will get just enough information so that they then can access that content? So a few years ago, I'll give you an actual example, John. Um, in the history exam a couple of years ago, there was um, the word proponent mm -hmm. was in a question. Um, now, obviously, that is someone who is for something. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, because pro meaning mm -hmm. um, to look forward. and So you think of projection. Now, Students that came out there that had been through an electronic intervention program actually spoke to their teachers about the fact that, well, I didn't know what proponent was, miss, but I knew that pro meant four, so I just gave it my best guess. Mm -hmm. Now, chances are they didn't get eight out of eight. It was an eight-mark question, mm -hmm. but I can guarantee you they would have got three or four, yeah. whereas a student that couldn't get that word proponent, they'd have put their pen down. Mm -hmm. So it's about giving students for those exams and then beyond life the ability to start to manipulate this language themselves. And John, it, it's the sort of thing that us teachers and, and us academics, we do without even thinking. Every time you read something you don't understand, you don't put the book down and go, oh, well, I'm not reading that anymore <laughs> then. You immediately, your brain starts doing that work for you because you've put all that stuff up there. So we just need to make sure that over the course of their secondary education, we're giving students enough practice so that then if they are forced in front of a really challenging word you know retrospection was on um, an English paper not so long ago you know spec means to look where's your mind going for spec uh -huh. we'd be thinking of spectator uh -huh. who's looking at a football match when retro oh that means obviously in the past you can start to see uh -huh. how yep. you can force independence on them no, that, that's great and I, it was interesting I, I heard a member of staff I was in a classroom just yesterday um, and it was in a science classroom not talking about literacy but talking about that exact very kind of skill of we need to be more resilient when we get a question that we, on the face of it, have no idea how to answer. You know, actually, because there, there will always be 
clues in the question. There's a, it's not a question that none of us have ever, ever, ever seen before. There's always something in there. Is this, where's your starting point? Well, I, there's no starting. Well, there is somewhere. What, what have you got? And actually in this case, it was looking at, you know, there might be one angle on the paper and they, they had to use their, go back and use their maths kind of in, uh, knowledge of, well, what does that angle and what else can I get from that? And eventually through hard work, they got to it. And I think it's exactly the same in this, but just thinking about it more from a literacy point of view, well, you might not know the word, so what? You know, you will have seen a word with those letters in at some point, you know, that, that resembles that. So like you say, we need a bit more resilience, you know, literacy and, and vocabulary resilience to actually break down those things. But we need to give students the tools to start with and have the toolbox available to them. To Definitely. And, now, and I'd, into. I'd strongly recommend any skill starts with their numeracy vocabulary and numeracy curriculum to to start this process if you're going from ground zero because the language within maths is much more helpful across the curriculum than the language of the English curriculum mm -hmm. and you've got some beautiful number prefixes there that straight away will hook students you know mm -hmm. you buy you try you sent yeah. um but that the, there are basically there, there are about 36 affixes morphemes that um could get you really really as a learner really off any any starting blocks and if you if you could if a school could invest in those 36 over a couple of years and all mm. their teachers are teaching in the same manner then your, your students would be able to decode the vast majority of vocabulary in an exam but more importantly they then have those skills for life because they've practiced them well enough fantastic brilliant Right now, I want to I want to take you back retrospectively now. Since oh, we, were talking, we were talking <laughs> as you dropped that word in retrospect there. So, um, and you may have answered this already in 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 one of the kind of questions I've talked about. It, but thinking about now your experience uh, where you are now, and you know you you talked earlier about kind of you've come through from an English teacher and you've worked up the you know through the senior leadership, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But knowing what you now know about um, all the things we've talked about and vocabulary development and the, and the importance of literacy thinking and speaking to kind of teachers who are listening now what one thing that you know now how, do, do you wish that you'd done in terms of vocabulary development with the students in your care when you first started teaching so i'm going to cheat i'm going to just say too so obviously morphemic analysis which i've been discussing now i didn't discover that until quite late on and, and it just blew my mind and revolutionized mm. everything i did from that point um the other one i haven't actually mentioned and that would be the importance of syllabification um, we often think of syllabification so that the the sound chunks within a word as being a, a really lower skill for younger mm -hmm. students. But the, the importance of syllabification for reading and spelling and a real quick shift in our classroom habits um, is so important for reading and spelling. It's unbelievable. So it's it's and it's, it's so simple to do. So if you were to take the word condensation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got four syllables. So just imagine again, give you a teacher's toolkit tip. Um, a, a student says, so how do you spell condensation? Rather than grabbing a dictionary, rather than giving them the definition, this is how the conversation would go. So mm -hmm. the student goes, miss, how do you spell condensation? I say condensation. How many syllables does it have? They would do their jaw drop. Mm -hmm. Four syllables, miss. And I would say, you're right, condensation. And then I'd go con, conden condense, condensation, condensation. I then get them to spell it as I said it again. Con, conden, mm -hmm. condense, condensation. I then say, just remind me, what's the second syllable and how did you spell it? And then they would tell me, and then I would write it down. If I'd have learned that syllabification and spelling process 20 odd years ago, 
I, I absolutely know fine well that my students would have been so much more confident in their writing and in their abilities within reading and, and you know, any kind of piece of writing and spelling. And again, there's no planning in that. It's just a technique to make it so that every time a student asks you, Miss, how do you spell? You just take them down a little journey really, really quickly that makes their mind do some work. But more importantly, is showing them that those syllables, that's where spelling lies. That's the heart of spelling is looking at that syllabification. So morphemic analysis and syllabification would be my top two. Brilliant. I love that. And I think, like you said, it's not about extra planning. It's not having extra slides or extra resources. It's it's a bit like, you know, you know, I do a lot of work on questioning. It's just having that habits of, I am going to question in this way, and I'm going to answer this question this way. It's just having a, a commitment to yourself as a teacher, that when you're asked that question of how do I spell this or what's this word mean, that you just answer in a certain way, no extra planning, no extra thought. It's just a commitment to yourself that I know this is a better way to uh, to teach and to mold these students because I am, you know, I, I'm I'm not just giving them the fish; I'm giving them the rod and teaching them how to fish. And it's it's that well, it's like, I remember you and I doing a training session together a million years ago on um, the teacher's toolkit, and we literally took in a toolkit. And it is just about it's about those things that you have mm-hmm. up your sleeve as a teacher, as a as a well practiced teacher that just knows when to drag them out when you need them. And and one and you just got to keep developing that toolkit. And that toolkit doesn't need to be anything flashy whatsoever. But when we're talking about reading and vocabulary development, oral rehearsal is what it really, really needs. Then you do the grapheme correspondence, the writing the word or the typing of the word on the board. But that always has to come second because we learn to read through our ears. Fantastic. Right. Now, if if teachers listen to this, uh, uh, a kind of, you know, they're on, they're walking the dog, they're out having a run, they're driving the car, they're wherever they are, and they're thinking, I'm in, like, I'm sold, I'm in, I understand, <laughs> I'm ready to go, I'm teaching tomorrow, and I want to get cracking tomorrow. But you've we've talked there actually about a lot of things from kind of whole school, uh, to individual teachers to kind of, you know, conversations, but where would be a good starting point for people tomorrow, in terms of, you know, almost like I, I just want to get started with something tomorrow. So I feel like I'm on that journey. So where would you really kind of think that people you know, should start at? I'd have a look tomorrow. And as you would not, you would, I know you, John, would advocate you, you plan your questions you're going to ask. I just have a look at a couple of words you want to, students to grapple with next week, say, mm-hmm. and just have a look at their morphemic analysis. Now, Lexonic, we can help you do that. Um, we have a couple of ways of doing that for you really, really easily. And, or you can know, you can, the internet's a wonderful thing. And just start practicing, like I said, those key questions. What does it mean? How do we, how do you know? And where's your mind going? You know, what other things can you recognize in that word? then I'd have a real good look at that that's a little quick syllabification technique that I took you took you through there mm-hmm. um and just and then start to notice to yourself actually how this just seamlessly fits into the content that you're delivering um and then it doesn't need to be anything huge potentially you know next steps then would be gather together your buddies gather together your department or better still cross department colleagues and 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 make a list maybe five ten maximum ten we often say six is actually the magic number for vocabulary mm-hmm. um six words across three subject areas that you know all shares the same morphemes but you could use together to practice this idea of how you can link this vocabulary across the school um and then if you've got any other questions or you want to look at specific and targeted interventions because regardless of how good our classroom practice becomes there will always be students that need specific strategic targeted interventions Mm -hmm. 
So if you're then thinking about actually there's a group of students I want to support here from an intervention point of view and or more of a teacher training point of view, then just drop me an email, sarah.ledger at lexonic.co.uk. And then we can have a right good old chat and see how we can help support each other. Fantastic. That's great. And there's some really kind of great, obvious ways for people to start there who want to really get kind of get going immediately. And I was I was going to kind of say that, you know, there might be people, you know, we have people listening to the, to the podcast, not just in our trust, but actually across the world. And there's, there's kind of people listening all over the place. So if people do want to find out more um, about that and about the work that you do, Sarah, and, and about the work that Lexonic do, you know, where we're you've got your, you've put your email address there, but where, where else can they kind of find that and, and kind of website wise and other things that you do in, in terms of Lexonic? Brilliant. So our website is lexonic.co.uk. Like I said, you can get in touch with me, sarah.ledger at lexonic.co.uk or enquiries at lexonic.co.uk. Um, if you're in a different region or even in the Tees Valley, chances are there is a secondary school somewhere very, very close by that's already uses Lexonic. So um, you, please feel free to reach out to those and have a chat. We're also on all of the usual um, social media sites. We do a regular podcast ourselves called The Vocabulary Detectives. And you can also find me on the um, BSME platform for any UAE schools who happen to be listening in. But yeah, but drop me a line. I, lo- I love a good email. So sarah.ledger at lexonic.co.uk. Brilliant. Well, wonderful. Thank you very much for that. And, and just a, a huge thank you for kind of taking the time this morning to, to kind of, um, you know, to talk about this, to talk about it in depth and really to give those real kind of golden nuggets that you've shared this morning, not only for individual teachers, but for parents as well, for school leaders. Um, and I think it, you know, like we said right at the start, it's so, so important. And I know you're really, really passionate about this and, and, it, and it's lovely you know, to see how your career has kind of developed and blossomed and that you're in this position now where, where you're doing exactly what your passion is, which is, you know, how can we make, you know, how can we get students to have a better understanding of vocabulary and literacy so actually they can have better life chances? That, that's what it boils down to. So it's been wonderful chatting to you about this morning. Hopefully listeners have been able to get lots of kind of gold nuggets from there. You've also signposted them to where they can go to if they want more information and they're, and they're kind of real kind of eager beavers to do more of that. So yeah, just a huge thank you, Sarah. Uh, always lovely to talk to you. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure the listeners will be very thankful. Well. So thank you very much indeed. Oh, thank you, John. It's been wonderful catching up with you. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. And just, yeah, please reach out if there's anything else we can do to support. Thanks for listening to the ALT Learn podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode where we'll be speaking to more of our teachers and finding out how they're turning theory into practice. Until then, take care.